So yes, I'm a positive trainer. I like to say I'm a hundred percent positive trainer, but I also want to say that I do add in 10%. So I'm a hundred and ten percent trainer. I'm a hundred percent positive, and then when the time comes and I know my dog is trained, I'm 10% correction. Your dog is a good dog, a happy dog, a goofy dog, and sometimes even a naughty dog. But no matter what, you love your dog. They warm your heart, they make you smile, and they stand by you through thick and thin. Your dog deserves the best life possible, and as their devoted human, you get to give that to them. Everyone wants a dog that comes when it's called, sits, stays, doesn't run out the door, and leaves distractions when asked. Join legendary dog trainer Dina Zafiris in the Bone to Pick podcast, as she shares her wealth of knowledge, tips and tricks, top secrets and biggest pet peeves about all things dog. So call over Rover, sit, stay, and be inspired by dogs with Dina Zafiris in Bone to Pick. And now, here's Dina. Hi guys, it's Dina and Lickety Split here. Welcome to Bone to Pick. And I always have a bone to pick. And um, Within everything I tell you guys, you know, the things that become important in dog training, it's, it's a through line of 30 years of experience of students asking me the same things and having the same types of problems all the time. So I do have a bone to pick and um, most of those, you know, picky points, sticky points for me have to do with myths and mistakes that people make. So. There may be a little bit of overlap um, if you've heard some other podcasts because there's a through line and everything has to do with everything else, okay? So today I'm really going to try to stick with the topic and today's topic is about my theory and my philosophy, okay? So a lot of people just say, I'm a positive trainer. There's really no psychology behind that or philosophy behind that. So yes, I'm a positive trainer. I like to say I'm a hundred percent positive trainer, but I also want to say that I do add in 10%. So I'm a hundred and ten percent trainer. I'm a hundred percent positive. And then when the time comes and I know my dog is trained, I'm 10% correction if I need it and only if I need it. So if I can be 100% positive and get results and sustain those results through a high level with everything I need, I don't need that extra 10%. But in certain cases, in high levels of distraction, where my dog is going to chase a squirrel instead of listening to me, I will add correction as long as the dog knows what he's doing and chooses not to listen, all right? So I'm a 110% trainer, 100% positive, right until the dog is fully trained and then we proof the dog by setting him up to maybe make a mistake and there's where we add our 10%. So this is, believe it or not, part of my philosophy. And my philosophy is that yes, of course I'm a positive trainer, but there's a psychology um, that I use in, inherent to my method and what I believe is the one of the biggest secrets to dog training, okay? So again, today's talk, bone to pick. Uh, we've got to add in those mistakes and I will cover a couple of mistakes, um, but this is a huge secret. So listen up, you guys. It's not gonna be a long cast today. Um, I'll try to make it short and um, glad you guys are tuning in. But hear me out very carefully 
through this because if you understand this philosophy and this psychology of what I use to, to teach my dog to listen to me, to pay attention, it's what everybody wants, whether it's healing on a leash, you know, not pulling on the leash, um, not jumping, knowing sit down, stay, come heal, uh, all of that stuff. It's really super important to use this psychology. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to explain a couple of examples. And I'm going to tell you again what I told you. And you need to try to bring it to everything you do. Okay. So first, let me just in a simple way explain what it is. Okay. Here it is. The biggest secret in all of dog training, which I consider my philosophy. And it's not, it doesn't make sense to say, my philosophy is positive training. It says there's nothing there. I mean, it, how, does, how do you know who's, who someone is as a trainer? So I want to get into the psychology of the dog's brain and, and for human, the psychology of humans' brains for that, that uh, very same reason is that we work the same in many ways. And so does a horse and so does a child and so does a husband and so does a wife. And we all want reinforcement. We all want reward. But more importantly, and before we even talk about reward and what reward is or motivation and what motivation is, and I still haven't told you the secret. I know you guys are hanging on the ed edge of your seats. So here it is. Okay. My dog is trained to understand that listening to me is always more valuable than what he was doing. That's it. That's how you train a dog. Listening to me, paying attention, okay, to me is more valuable, more rewarding than anything he could have been doing at the time. Seems pretty simple, right? But if you've ever said, Max, come, and your dog came running, and he did come to you, even if you have a liver treat, he inherently knows he lost what it was that he came from. Does that make sense? So let me, let me break it down even more. Max was out playing with three other dogs. They were running, they were sprinting, they were, they were just doing the back and forth and getting the zoomies and running around and playing chase. And all of a sudden, mommy says, Max, come. And he does, he came over and you gave him a treat. There's your positive reinforcement. But what, and then you hook on the leash and you walk and go home. And Max goes, wait a minute, I got a liver treat, but he also lost the other three dogs and the play session. Do you get it? So what happened, and it's not even that dogs are plotting and I'm not anthropomorphizing. I'm not saying that dogs think it out and like, oh, well, I'm thinking this out. It's psychology and it's, you know, philosophy. No, but over time, right? If you say sit to stop your dog from chasing a deer, if you say stay to prevent your dog from playing with other dogs, if you say call your dog out of play and the play is over, the dog constantly learns that listening to you, paying attention to you, always means he loses something. He loses the squirrel, he loses the other dogs, he has to come in from play, blah, 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 blah. One thing leads to another and suddenly, why do you think your dog doesn't listen to you anymore? So think about it, okay? 
every one gets confused by this and it has to go you know we have to take a step further and say well okay then how do I ever call my dog away from that thing don't worry about it don't worry about it that has no place in training a dog using your commands to really get your dog to come away from a squirrel when you know okay let's use a mountain lion I really need to call my dog to come and I ain't gonna let him go back this time to the mountain lion. That's not dog training. <laughs> That's untraining a dog, okay? And the one time I have to call my dog away from a mountain lion, you're right, I, I don't let him go back to chase the mountain lion. But how you should train the come command and how you should live is that every time I call my dog to come, I have a reward. In, in advanced stages, maybe I don't have a reward, but I always let him go back to what he was doing. So if you guys want to check out a game, I have a whole game to start teaching the philosophy of listening to me is always more valuable. You'll always get to go back to what you were doing. You'll receive a treat over here and get to go back and chase the squirrel. I set my training up so that the dog always learns he gains something by listening to me. He doesn't lose anything. Okay, it seems so simple, but I, I see the same mistakes being made in, in you know, group classes, you know, really skilled trainers are constantly using their commands and not touching on the aspect of how do we maintain those commands? How do we make sure that they remain valuable and that my dog, when I really need him to come away from the mountain lion, that my dog will actually listen because I spend 99% of my time training and 1% of my time using. You got it? 99% of the time, I don't really need my dog to come to me. And I have it all planned and plotted out so that if he does come to me, I release him right back. So I just wanna ask you to think about it. I'm not talking about treats. I'm not talking about reward. I'm not talking about how to train the come command. Oh, he's up again. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is living in South Carolina. There's some giant bugs around here. I'm serious. So the, the philosophy, again, getting back in all seriousness, the philosophy is I'm always more about what listening to me is like it tops everything because it's always an addition to what my dog was doing. It never takes him away. So the come command would take my dog away from the other dogs. I'd say, yes, good boy, break and release him back into play. I call that the come and go back game. It's in distraction training. It also is in recall training where, you know, first we work with no distractions. And, and, and what does that mean? So in, this is also part of my training philosophy, guys. In, in training, we have the three Ds. The three Ds I will talk about, distraction, distance, and duration. Not for this video. I do not wanna start training a dog in the three Ds, okay? No distractions not really any long durations, like no long stays or making the dog sit for a long time, so no long duration. And I really wanna avoid distance because if I have such a huge space between me and my dog and he doesn't listen, then I can't grab a leash and do it timely, you know, get everything fixed. So the three Ds are saved for proofing and once the dog knows his commands at an 80% um, minimum standard performance. What is an 80% minimum standard of performance? That if you ask your dog to sit 10 times, that he sits eight out of 10 times right away and understands and does his behavior, then we can 
assume safely that the dog knows sit. Okay, so 80% success, a minimum standard performance. Once we assume that the dog knows the behavior, we can start to add the three Ds, okay? So before we add the three Ds, I have a lot of games like the come and go back game. Come to me and go right back to what you were doing. Some of this has to be done on a long line, long line because when you first start playing it, no, the dog is not going to want to leave a piece of steak on the ground, right, <laughs> to come to you. Um, but we can set up the game using our retractable leash or a long line or a six-foot lead. And even like, let's say you're walking down the street, you see your friend, you know your dog loves this dog that's coming down the street, so I'm walking Splitty, and Splitty sees Molly, and Splitty and Molly go, hey, hey, Splitty, hey, 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 Molly, and they see each other. Well, instead of just letting your dog pull you over to the other dog, take a couple steps backwards away from Molly. Splitty, come. She comes to me. Yes, good girl. And I run to see Molly. So if you think this way, you can incorporate that philosophy into every little thing. Let's take the doorway. My dog is at the doorway and he really wants to go outside because what's outside? Um, a squirrel. I always use squirrel. Okay. Squirrel represents everything. So you're going to get sick of hearing squirrel, but pretty much a squirrel is a huge distraction or another dog running or, you know, a skateboard or whatever makes your dog's boat float. But let's just say your dog's at the door. You have a glass door. He can see out the door and he sees his favorite squirrel on the fence. Well, I stand six feet behind my dog in the house and I'll call my dog to come to me away from the squirrel, right? But he's at the door, so he's close to the squirrel and I stand back here. So I'm behind, you know, him. He wants to go here, out the door, get the squirrel. Here's my dog, here's the door, so he can't get to the squirrel, but he's still really excited about the squirrel. And then I'm standing here, maybe I have a leash. And I say, Splitty, come. And Splitty, if she doesn't, I can use my leash or I can run this way or whatever. She comes to me, I give a treat, and then I run and open the door and I actually let her chase the squirrel. Okay, so that brings up a lot of different things. I almost wish people could call in on this podcast because everyone goes, well, what do you mean? Aren't you training your dog to chase squirrels? No, all dogs chase squirrels. And if you don't use those huge distractions as rewards, you are missing out on a huge part of dog training. And you are making big mistakes because if you can't, teach your dog the psychology that you control his access to freedom, right? So really like the come and go back game is about teaching your dog that you control his access to the squirrel, right? It's not like come to me means you lose the squirrel. It's come to me and I'll give you access to the squirrel. So there's levels of the game, right? Of course, when my dog is at the fence barking at the squirrel, like jumping up, almost biting the squirrel, it's much harder to call your dog away from that. And that's what I call the three Ds. But the doorway game, when you're just sitting at that glass doorway, doggy sees something here, I make him turn around and look at me and then release him out the door. I just got eye contact release. So there's, there's what's important is that we're not covering those games in this podcast. We're just talking about the philosophy and the psychology. It's kind of intertwined. So the philosophy is like, my dog knows that whatever I say is more valuable than what he's doing. And you need to train that. So this, it sounds redundant, but it's, it's, it's hard. 
because you'll get things like, well then, I, but I don't want my dog to run towards other dogs. Well, guess what? He is gonna do it anyway. You might as well use that as a reward for training. That's like the whole freedom is a reward, but I don't just give my dog freedom. Ask for one second of sit and then let your dog go have what he wants. It's not just sit for a treat, right? How about sit for a treat and then release him to go chase something? How about dog sees another dog, call him to come back to you, let him go back into play. Let him play for a while, call him out of play, good boy, treat, let him go back into play. Come and go back, right? Even when you use treats correctly, and I'm gonna cover it again, so even if I'm a positive trainer and I always treat my dog for this or that or this, he eventually learns that he also lost the fun thing. That's it. You know, um, training should be fun. Training should be 100% positive. Untraining can involve correction, all right? So if, if there's a problem with the training, but let me go back. Let's say my heel is, is perfect, my heel command is perfect, and I trained it with 100% positive reinforcement. Some dogs that have a really, really super good heel they still have a trigger where they will bolt or you know leave the curb a guide dog goes off the curb after a prey animal or whatever even if you use 100% positive reinforcement and you have a perfect dog every dog at one point or another will choose to chase the distraction okay that's where correction lies but also it's where the come and go back game the listening to me, even after correction, I'll let you go back to what you were doing. Because over time, the dog realizes that by listening to you, he always gains, always gains something. So if you've ever called your dog to come to you out of play or, or scream, no, wait, and he does, he waits, and he lost the kitty that was running, you've got to reverse those things through safe training games, okay? So this program is going to give you systematic ways to work. And when I say systematic, I can't just give somebody who doesn't know how to train a dog and they want to learn. I can't just say, well, just, you know, just always make sure he goes back to whatever he was doing. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's hard, right? I need to give you ideas and give you creative games so that you can put this psychology and this philosophy into everything you do. You have to think about it. You have to say, you know, does my dog know sit? Should I use the sit right now? And if I do use the sit, is it because I really need him to come away from something? And if it is, and you know you can't let him go back, if you have control of your dog or you can just go get him, just go get him, okay? So <laughs> again, this has to do with my philosophy. People get really lazy. They go, well, I, but I wanna call my dog, you know, dogs outside, sniffing the leaves, running around, chasing the horses, whatever they're doing. And you go, come, and the dog comes running and you put him inside and put him in the kennel. It would have been just as easy to take your leash and, and walk out to the fence line, hook the dog up on the leash and say, this way, let's go in the house. Don't use your calm command to always take him in from what he was doing, right? If we can't set it up for success as a training game, don't use your calm command. Because every time you use your calm command, when you really need it, and you don't use the philosophy, meaning I am gonna use my calm command, my dog came away from something really exciting that he thought was really exciting, and I end it, and my dog loses that really exciting thing, 
I am untraining my dog. In that moment, I am, I am doing major damage and untraining my dog. I'm training him actually not to come to me in the future. So it also brings me to kind of like a ratio. Again, it's part of the philosophy and it's one to 10 um, or, you know, one out of 10 times. So one out of 10 times you can, you can get away with using your come command. And l let me explain that. I'm using the come command, I'm using squirrel, but the, it applies for all commands, all right? So if I'm gonna use my come command and Splitty goes to chase a mountain lion and I really need her to come, Splitty come and she does. Didn't happen to have a treat and I'm not gonna let her go back. Okay, that's my one time I used it. Now I have to go nine times playing the training games to reverse the damages that, that using that command did. So you gotta think about it. If I have to say, down, drop my dog down to stop her from chasing something. Now I know I have to play nine times the drop down game and the reward is go chase whatever it is, wild turkey, a squirrel, whatever, something benign, something that's not gonna kill her, okay? So right now, it doesn't matter what level you are, you need to start teaching this philosophy. And sometimes very advanced people that have pretty good trained, pretty well-trained dogs, I should say, over time they start to choose. And they will always choose the other dogs, bigger distractions, prey animals over you. They will always choose other things over you unless you play the I'm more valuable game, okay? What's the I'm more valuable game? Everything we just talked about. Anything can become a game, anything, okay? Especially when your dog is distracted. But with these basic dogs or beginning dogs, I should say, who are in the basic training and the fundamentals training, you can't just say come and assume your dog's gonna come away from those distractions. And that's why you're gonna go review the systematic game training for basic, your basic introduction to distractions, not actually calling your dog in the real world away from major distractions. You're not there yet until you've proofed your dog and set him up for success. Feeling inspired by this episode and want more? Well, Dana has got you covered, you lucky dog you. No matter where you are on your dog-loving journey, Dina can guide you in the right direction. Don't have a dog yet, but want to learn all the right things to start the journey with your new BFF off on the right paw? Looking to bring out the good dog that lives deep inside your naughty one? Maybe you have more advanced goals and want to venture into the world of dog sport, or put your good dog on a pedestal with some fun trick training. Sure, you'll learn all about the basics, but that's just the beginning. Dina knows dogs and you can too with Dina's online dog training school inspired by dogs with Dina Zafiris. Visit bonetopickpodcast.com today to learn more, purchase her introductory course, and sign up for special announcements and exclusive opportunities to make your best friend's life even better. So yeah, you have to stop viewing training as obedience and you know we have competitive obedience and I love my dog to be obedient but obedience can be a good word or a bad word I think it's a good word but most people are like you know I am the master my dog must obey obedient and it's just everything is sit down stay you know and that's a mistake it's 
even the way you say things or the way you ask your dog to do a behavior such as sit or down or stay. And it's like, look, there's not that many things in basic obedience. Sit, down, stay, come, heel, okay, no, maybe a stand, maybe a touch cue, some luring and weaving games around your legs. Um, you know, what is there, 10 to 15 words? My dogs know a couple hundred words, right? Um, but really in basic obedience, there's only so many words. So you have to really focus on not wrecking, not wrecking those words, okay? Um, I think that's pretty clear. I'm reading my notes because I'm probably, um, I, think, I think I put it pretty clear. Um, I just wanna make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Yeah, so the obedience thing, it's, you know, dogs in the wild, they live in packs. Let's just take wolves, okay? And even dogs. If you go to, you know, Thailand or um, I was in Fiji once and there were just these huge packs of domestic dogs that lived together on the streets. But when you look at dog packs, and we are a pack with our dog, dog packs in the wild, wolf packs, wild wolf packs with big canines, big, you know, scary looking wolves, they do not work by dominating each other. And the dominance myth, this does have, I'm not, I'm not going on a tangent, it really does have a place in my basic philosophy. When I say the dominance myth is that a guy named David Mech, who is the number one wolf researcher, published more papers on wolves, went out and lived with them, studied wolf packs, you know, set up a tent and lived with the wolves for years and years and years. Don't quote me on that. He's, he's the biggest researcher on wolves to date and has done the most research. Well, when he first did research, he came out of the woods and he said, hey, there's an alpha wolf and he controls everything and everyone must listen to the alpha. And we got our dominance training. Oh, well, dogs are little wolves. Well, then I need to be that dominant bully leader, alpha leader over my dog. David Mech goes back into the woods for another 10 years, or however, don't quote me on the uh, amount of years. Just look up David Mech, M-E-C-H. Goes back into the woods. Comes out and he goes, oops, strike that, I made a mistake. There is no alpha wolf. Wolf packs and dog packs work in partnerships and they change roles all the time, kind of like a family structure, kind of like a human family. Sometimes little Johnny gets to say, well, tonight can we have burgers? And the mama goes, sure, we can have burgers, right? But what if Johnny grew up in a house? No, we're having what I say for dinner every night. And you remember those families. Maybe you even came from one of those families. Well, it doesn't work. The kid will always rebel, turn out to be, you know, maybe have problems in one way or another. But we learn over time that mutually beneficial partnerships, like, hey, if you get to pick dinner tonight, can I pick dinner tomorrow night? And, you know, even the way we ask that, it, it makes the family work on more of a mutually beneficial partnership, okay? That's in part of my philosophy. It's that you're not the dominant master who can just come and your dog should just do that without a reward forever. In no world ever or any society with any animal who lives in a pack would that ever work okay one wolf maybe gets the best sleeping spot because he's dominant that night then the next night 
there's a different wolf that might get the, the, the best, the, the, the eating rights are his. They change roles, they get old and weaker and a younger one takes over. And you know, it's still kind of intertwined with dominance, I suppose, a little bit. But David Mech really realized that they work with cooperation and partnership. Like to hunt, they have to communicate and work together, these wolves. It's not just about slapping each other down. And there was this whole like alpha wolf rollover where you were supposed to take your dog and roll him to the ground. And I grew up in those, you know, I, we did the wolf rollover with you. Well, when they slowed, when we got slow-mo great videos, it's actually the submissive dog rolls himself first so the alpha dog is not taking the dog and pinning it, okay, at all. The submissive dog sees the big one coming and, and actually says, oh, look, look, I'm going to show you all my teeth and roll over. Look at me. I'm on, my I'm on my back. Here's my belly. And then the big wolf comes in and maybe takes some skin and, and bites a little bit. But it's all a ritual. And when, you know, when David Mech first came out of the woods, that's, you know, you alpha wolf rollover because the big, the biggest, the big strong dominant wolf always rolls the lower pack members. Not so. The lower pack members are submissive wolves. Their personality is submissive, or maybe they're younger wolves. They actually roll themselves first and the bigger wolf comes in. He was never flipping his wolf pack members over in the first place. Um, it is the AVSAB. A-V-S-A-B, the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behaviorists. It's a large group of DVMs, they're veterinarians, and they're also dog behaviorists. They wrote a paper on dominance theory and why it doesn't work and how you can't train a dog by just being the dominant alpha. It's a myth, it doesn't exist anywhere, not even in a wolf pack, not even in a wild dog pack. So why are you acting as if obedience you know, the word obedience, he's going to do it, he's going to listen to me, or I'm going to whoop his beep, and I'm going to get newspaper and smack him if he doesn't do it. You know, that's really old school, and it's really, um, it's not a partnership. And when you watch these wonderful agility dogs that are going out and running the agility course, they're out there with no reward, no toy, they have to leave the, the leash, which is usually a tug leash, little secret, at the start line, but that dog knows there's no treats, no cookies, no toys in the ring, and that dog is running like hell. He's running because he loves it, because you've created a partnership with that dog. You, you can't beat a dog or obedience a dog or bully a dog into doing tricks, okay? Look at trick training. There's no difference between obedience and trick training, but people see those as two different things. That's why I'm always saying, you have to get some tricks in your training. You have to have a little bit of fun. You have to teach at least spin right, spin left, and weave through my legs. Come on. Or sit up like a, you know, sit up on your haunches. And the sky's the limit. But what if you lived with another person and you only had three words? You'd be bored. Our animals are bored. So I have another video about offering. Offering is a really, really fun thing. I have games with a cardboard box. There's a bunch of stuff to do. And why we do that is to maintain the partnership looking at dog training as an addition, right? You never lose something by listening to me, you always gain. So philosophy is very, very important. And I just wanna wrap it up and, and I want you to understand it, okay? Understand it from the very core of your being and each time you ask your dog to do something, whether you're training or you have an advanced dog, is he is he losing something by listening to you or is he gaining something?
and nine times out of 10, he better be gaining something. And when it's a beginning dog, a basic dog in the fundamental foundational training, 10 out of 10 times, 100% of your training, he's gaining because you're not working among distractions. So if I'm gonna say the biggest mistake is to use your commands and not train your commands. As good trainers, we spend 99% of our time training commands and 1% using them. Don't be lazy. If you have to get your dog and call him away from play, just go put the leash on, say bye to your friend, turn around and walk to your car. Don't use your come command and then put the leash on and leave. There are choices. There are choices we make all the time. So think about those choices. No obedience. It's a partnership. It's mutually beneficial. Your dog gains something and wants to listen to you, and that ties into motivation, which is gonna be in our next podcast. So stay tuned for my talk on motivation, and yeah, it'll be fun. Happy training. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bone to Pick with Dina Zafiris. Make sure to bark about us to all of your dog-loving friends and tell them that they can find us wherever they get their podcasts. Don't miss a single episode. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave feedback to help other dog lovers find us too. For more information and education from Dina, be sure to visit bonetopickpodcast.com. Sign up for Dina's mailing list and she'll say thanks by sending you a special gift, a downloadable PDF of her top 10 secrets to dog training, an amazing resource for you and your furry best friend.